0: The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's the Mr. Mike Agustino, and um. I just wanted to give a little programming update here for this episode. During the main segment of the episode, as I'm I'm signing off, I do I do sign off as if the episode is ending, and I do say that there wouldn't be a Copa America update in this podcast episode. However, um, that changed. So after recording the episode and after live streaming it, I did in fact get the chance to put together that uh, a short, albeit short. Uh, Copa America review for match day two for the Copa America Zona Sud and um, that is at the end of this podcast so if you want to listen to that uh, you can just skip ahead about an hour and seven minutes or so and you will find it there. Okay, or you can listen to the entire episode in its in its entirety. And at the end, the final segment will be covering uh, two matches from the Copa America match day one. We'll be covering Argentina versus um, Chile and Paraguay versus Bolivia. All right. Thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoy this episode. what's up ptb nation welcome to night number six of parking the bus euro 2020 it is episode number i think we're at 47 now um this is i believe the 47th episode of the parking the bus podcast here on the ptb media network as you know i am the mr mike Agustinio and tonight i'm riding solo but not really all right, uh, fade. My place couldn't be here tonight. He got he he was working late, and um, it's not a problem at all. Uh, tonight is a unique night because I do have a video to play later from another contributor. So when we get to the portion of the show where we talk about the preview or the the predictions for tomorrow's matches, I've got a special contribution from another. Another contributor, all right, from the from the BTV family. So I'm very thankful to everybody over there at Better Than.Vegas that has been uh, lending talent and uh, lending their time to me for this project. And I hope everybody is enjoying this Euro 2020 as much as I am. Now, today the Azuri took the field again. Que bello, que bello. They did it again. Somebody tell me when did the Italian national team become the 2008 Spanish team? They remind me of them so much. Not it not that and I'm not saying that to put them at a spot where where I'm trying to put undue pressure on them. That's not what I mean. I mean the idea and the philosophy and the way that they play and the way that they move the ball. And it's not tiki-taka. It's very much With a purpose. And when those outside players, when when especially, especially Berardi, runs at defenders. Oh, man, that that kid is running at defenders. He is twisting them around, turning them in circles, breaking ankles on the dribble. Um, I love watching this Italian team play. I am just head over heels with this team. Uh, I know it's only been Turkey and Switzerland, so I'm not getting carried away here. I know that there is a lot to, a lot still to go. There's a lot of teams when they can do this against, you know, a more defensively sound team, maybe against, I don't know, against a Germany even, when they can do this against, obviously France So we can compare every if we compare everyone to France then nobody's going to look any good so I don't want to say that I'm not going to compare them to France obviously but basically you know when when they take on some of the top top six teams okay so you you have your top six I don't know uh France Portugal Netherlands um Italy definitely England um you know, just off the top of this is just off the top of my head. I do keep Germany in that top six right now. I think that they are one of the six best teams in this competition. Uh, this is—I I can't wait to see this Italian team take on one of those teams because I think it's going to be a great, great matchup. I think that uh, this team has one heck of a belief and one heck of a passion. And when they sing their national anthem man, I, I can't—I can't get over it. They did it again. They did it again today. When they sing that national anthem, they're not singing an anthem. They're ready to go to battle. It's a battle cry. And um, there's just, I mean, I've never seen an Italian team so enjoyable. But you know what? I do have something to say, okay? And Italian football, for one, is on the up. We all know that. Serie A is on the up. Those of you who say that Serie A is for old players, well, guess what? When you look at that ticker there on the bottom of your screen, for those of you watching right now live on Periscope on YouTube or on uh, www.parkingthebusmedia.com, wherever you are watching, um, you will know that the top goal scorers there is at the end of that scroll. Let's talk about the top scorers for a minute. Okay, you've, yes, y- y- you've got Chic from Czech Republic, but after him, you've got Romelu Lukaku, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, and now you've got Ciro Immobile. What league do those three, those last three that I mentioned, what league do they play in? That's right, they play in Serie A. Serie A is back. Yeah, they're all over 30. Does it matter? Well, Lukaku's younger than the other two. But you know what I'm saying? Because the crew in the on ESPN FC hit this, you know, dead on on the head earlier. Um, they were talking about Immobile, but they also talked about uh, Gareth Bale, who we'll talk about today. They talked about Cristiano Ronaldo and how these players, Karim Benzema, you know, on the wrong side of 30, but they know where they are. And they do exactly what their teams need them to do at this stage of their career. They've all become such intelligent players. They're not just athletes anymore. They're footballers. They've got it up here. Ad Immobile. How many goals has this guy scored in the last three seasons? I mean, I mean, how can you doubt? And I can't help right now but to be a believer in this Italian team. This team has. All kinds of potential, and I can't wait, like I said, to see them play one of the big guns because I think it's going to be a cracking match. Absolutely phenomenal match to watch. All right, to everybody listening on the podcast, a special hello to you as well. Remember to follow the show, share the show. Um, You can find Parking the Bus on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher on Apple on amazon just by asking alexa to play parking the bus podcast all right this is episode 47 and um they're all up there they're coming out every night now so uh you got to keep up with them people you got to keep up with the episodes now um and as you know over at parkingthebusmedia.com, all the episodes are there as well uh it, there's something like I think 15 or 20 episodes available right there in the player. Uh, if, if you can't find it there, then all you got to do is go to your podcast platform that you prefer and download the show from there. All right. And also a special hello right now to everybody watching on my Facebook page. If you're watching on my Facebook page, please switch to YouTube, go to YouTube, type in PTB media network, hit subscribe, hit uh, the little bell next to it. So you can be alerted when I go live. All right, three matches to talk about tonight. Okay. Um, some of the groups starting to take shape. We got we got a team that's already into the round of 16, obviously. We really got, in my opinion, two teams that are are, are a lock to be in right now. Uh, we got one very close to going home, so things are starting to take shape right now. And we've also got some storylines. Uh, the latest is Christian Erickson continuing to look like he's doing well, he's recovering. Uh, he's comfortable that's good news uh, we spoke yesterday about Cristiano Ronaldo hitting the record in the euro okay also yesterday um, did anybody see did anybody see the video it's circulating across the web of, of the paratroop the parachute uh skydiver landing in the the Munich Arena last night he, he was representing an organization called Greenpeace and Greenpeace today apologized for uh, the mishap on the landing. This guy almost, I mean, people were injured from what I understand, but this guy came into the stadium and I don't know if the wind caught him or what happened, but he's, the video is intense. He's, he's, he's gliding along the bowl of the stadium. And he, he, I think he hits, he hits the seats at one point before the wind picks him up and takes him again. And uh, Greenpeace is apologizing for the mishap, but, um, they didn't do the best job communicating what the purpose of the, this was a protest, but I feel like when you have mishaps like that, you know, the, the message of the protest kind of gets lost, but uh, yeah, pretty scary moment for those in attendance. Very, I think it was a pretty scary moment. All right. We're going to take a quick short break, about 15 seconds. That's about it. Okay. Um, those of you on the podcast, obviously we're going to pay a bill. And um, when you come back, we are going to get right into the first match of the day. It was Finland taking on Russia here on the East Coast. It was bright and early this morning. And we will we will start to talk about that and see how Group B is shaping up because Group B played before Group A today. All right, this is the Parking the Bus podcast. It's episode 47. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinu. Again, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at PTB underscore media and also hit up WWW. ParkingTheBusMedia.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Parking the Bus Podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. And welcome back to parking the bus episode 47 here on the PTB media network, wherever you get your podcasts and your live streams you are watching right now, or you are listening to the podcast and I am happy to have you all here with me. Thank you for hanging with me. This is night number six. Like I said, we've been, this is the sixth night in a row that I've been sitting here in this chair, talking into this microphone, um, like I said in the in the opening, Fade My Place couldn't be here with me tonight, but he'll be back tomorrow, and um, we'll be able to, to resume the format we were doing in the two-person format, which I was starting to get used to and I was liking. But back to the solo format for tonight, and we start with Finland versus Russia. Like we said, we are in the St. Petersburg Stadium in St. Petersburg, Russian Federation. The referee tonight was Danny McKelly of the Netherlands, and we'll go into the 11, starting with the visiting side from Finland. Lucas Radecki is the goalkeeper, and uh, he he is a pretty good goalkeeper. He I think he had a pretty good game tonight or earlier today, I should say. Uh, considering it was a defeat, I thought he really made some good saves and kept his team in this match and kept the the goal difference is going to become so so crucial going into the third match day because the teams who have lost by more than a goal have an even more uphill battle once you add these third place teams and you start allowing you know four out of six third place teams to advance what happens after that is a lot of teams get the same amount of points And when they have the same amount of points, you have to break the tie with goal difference because they're not going to come from the same group. So within the group, they have the head-to-head to to break the tie. But once you're in different groups, you obviously didn't play each other. It comes down to goal difference. You've really got to score goals when you win these matches. That's why it was so key for Portugal, for example, yesterday to get three goals and not to sit back and just win uh, and be happy with the 1-0 victory. It put a lot of pressure on both. Uh, it puts, I should say, a lot of pressure on both Germany and on France to have to score extra goals against Hungary as well. Uh, the three across the back here for Finland uh, we've got Toivo Toivio, we've got Arj- Judy, and we've got Daniel O'Shaughnessy in the back. The wing backs are Juka Raitala and Jere Yuronen. three in the center of midfield, anchored by Rasmus Schuler. Glenn Kamara is to his left, and Robin Robin Laud is to his right. Timu Puki and Joel Pojanpolo are the two forwards for Finland. Russia is coming out in a 3-4-2-1. Their goalkeeper is Metev Safanov. They're three across the back. Dmitry Baranov, Igor Divev, and Georgi Jiskia. Four in front of them, the wingback Mario Frenunch, um the two inside central midfielders, uh, Magomed Ozedev and Roman Zobnin, and Dalar Kuzi- Kuziev is the left-sided midfielder in that four. With two attack-minded midfielders, or two withdrawn forwards, Alexei Mirenchuk and Alexander Golovin, and they're playing behind the captain, Artem Dzuba. So this was a match that uh, I thought, I I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed that, I guess I was getting caught up in the story of, of Finland a little bit, as, you know, the, it was unfortunate what happened, obviously, th- this is their first time stepping on the pitch after the the uh, I don't want to say it wasn't a tragedy, but I guess the episode or the traumatic experience of the what we now know was the heart attack to Christian Eriksson on a Saturday. So this was their first time back on a pitch. And it says here, so football understandably took a back seat in Finland's one nil victory over Denmark on Saturday with concern over Christian Eriksson's health taking priority, and they were wearing T-shirts today to support Christian Eriksson in their warm-ups and in their walkout. While the result was secondary importance, it did represent success for Marco Canerva's men who had Joel Poe and Giampaolo, and they had his goal, and they had Lucas Radecki's penalty save to thank for their victory. Uh, a win against the Danes also ended the six-game winless run that put them in good standing here in Group B. Russia, on the other hand, were no match for the world's number one-ranked team as they fell. That's who I forgot to mention when I said the top six. I'm, my mind is uh, Belgium. That's I I want to see Italy play Belgium. This is off-topic, but I, I want to see Italy play Belgium uh, right now. I think that would be one absolutely phenomenal Phenomenal, entertaining match to watch. Uh, I hope it happens. I do. I hope it happens. But, again, getting back to Russia as they were no match for them, they fell 3-0 to Roberto Martinez's well-drilled and creative. Belgian side, the three-goal deficit means they are bottom of Group B going into this match, and they've also stretched their winless European Championship run to six games, reassuring for Stanislav Czerst. Kasov's men, however, is that they've never lost four in a row in this competition. And they have also claimed four wins from four encounters with today's opponents. We've read the 11s already. And an interesting fact here, since the dissolution of the USSR, the Soviet Union, the Russian Federation have won all four of their group games against Finland, which just said scoring at least three goals in each of those matches. 15 goals for one against. So that's the backdrop for this one. And in the fifth minute, we thought we had a goal for Finland. And like I said, I was kind of getting on this Finland train. I thought they would be a real nice story for this competition. Um, definitely overmatched perhaps at times. But I, uh, after they got that win, I mean, they, you know, we talked about it here on this show they were expected to get nothing they were hoping for a point and now they've got 3 and now there's a very real reality that they may even have enough to advance we don't know yet we won't know until you know all the groups have played 3 matches or at least till we get close to the end to see if that's going to hold up last tournament okay portugal were the winners they advanced with 3 points from the group stage now the key was they they drew all three matches so their zero goal difference was enough to beat out teams who won a match and lost two because they were more than likely going to have a negative goal difference when you lose two matches and win one unless you win that one match by a large margin and lose the other two by smaller margins so it looks like Finland had taken the lead here uh raitala nips in front of Kuziev and on the right-hand side before delivering an inviting left footed cross towards the 6-yard area where Poggiampolo pa, pounces to head past Safanov from close range Finland think they have opened the scoring before VAR intervenes and indicates that the forward was in fact offside from the white right wing-back's initial cross and um in the ninth, Fernandez clips over the top of the chest of uh, Zuba. However, Finland's three-man defense combined to dispossess the Re- Russian captain. O'Shaughnessy, jury and Toivio all did excellent against Denmark, and they've got off to a strong start here. We have Belief in the Finnish side, but in the 10th, it's it's Kuziev overlapping Golovin uh, before sneaking a pass into Mirenchuk, who squares across to the right of the goal. Ozdayev is completely unmarked at the back post, and with just uh, Radecki to beat, he rushes his right footed strike to miscue his effort over the crossbar from close range. A great effort uh, goes a begging for Sherashov's men representing, of course, the Federation of Russia. We get a ball off the post in the 14th. It's Mirachuk twists and turns, disguises a pass into the feet of, of Zuba, and he uses the defender as a screen, aims for the bottom left corner with his right foot. Radecki can only stand as he watches the forward's efforts strike the post before bouncing away. Russia starting to come alive in front of their home fans. This was a must-win match for them. We already talked about that. They took a beating from Belgium in match day one. So they need to make up. First, they need to win. Second, they need to chip away at that goal difference because, again, that is going to come in handy. When they go into this third match, they need a result because their goal difference is poor, and it's, it's negative right now. It's not going to hold up. You know, I'm ninety nine percent confident that the that three points with that goal difference is not gonna hold up. And if they, they lose the third game, obviously their goal difference is gonna go down at the minimum another goal. Um we get a play here and we ha- it's a block here in the twenty first minute. Poe Paulo uh, thinks he is one on one with Safanov after a smart pass from Laud, but Diviev uh, produces an excellent last-ditch sliding tackle to lock the forward's right-footed attempt inside the area without the defender's intervention. There, it looked likely that Pojampalo would put his team ahead with, clo- with a close-range finish past the goalkeeper. Nevertheless, Finland get a corner, and uh, they go short with it, and the chance fades away. Glenn Kamara goes into the referee's book for a yellow card. He becomes the first name in the book for a late challenge in midfield in the 22nd. We get, unfortunately, an injury here. Um, We're in the 25th minute. And after winning the initial header to nearly tee up Zubia, Fernand uh, remains down. and It looks like he landed fairly heavy on his back. The Russian medical team rush on to tend to the right back. And the game pauses for a brief moment or two. And he stayed down after winning that aerial duel, landing awkwardly on his back. And that's going to be it for the Brazilian-born Mario Fernandes, uh, Russian national uh, naturalized. He will be coming off. And Karis, Karavev is coming on in his place. 27th minute, another player goes in the book. It's Dmitry Baranov this time as he joins Kamara in the referee's book. We go through the rest of the first half here. And um, it's it's some even play. 35th, O'Shaughnessy slowly wanders forward, launching a long throw-in into the area. The other two finished backs go forward and hover near the near post. But the throw-in finds the hands of Safanov, who towers above his opponents to claim that loose ball. And on the way to halftime, we finally get a little bit of a change here as uh, a cross uh, from deep sets for the head of Zubia until uh, Radecki comes racing out of his goal confidently to claim the loose ball. But at that point, the referee's assistant shows there'll be six minutes of added time in this first half, largely due to the stoppage to Fernandes' injury. And in the 45th plus two is where it came as finally Russia get on the board in this tournament, playing on home soil. Intricate play from Sherishov's men. Sees Zubia find space on the edge of the area. The Russian captain offloads to the right of the goal to Marinchuk, who drives forward, cutting inside, curling a left-footed strike into the top left corner. Mirenchuk uses O'Shaughnessy as a screen for his shot. Radecki has no chance of stopping that one. And Russia take the lead. And you heard it. Uh, fade my plays last night predicted that Russia were going to win this game. I was on the other side of the fence. I was I think I was more hopeful than I was uh, analytical or logical. But uh he said that he 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 said he loved the money that the house was putting or that the bookies were putting on Russia to win this game because uh they had just been smacked, you know, they had to respond. It's one of those things. You you've been hit in the mouth, how do you respond? Do you just let do you just get hit again or do you come back swinging? This time, Russia came back swinging after they had settled into this match. After they had survived some early, some early offense from from Finland, and they get on the board board first. A short passing sequence seats Marenchuk and uh, Zubia exchange one-two with the former making it to the right of goal. Marenchuk has three defenders around him, but he uses them to his advantage. And like we said, it was a nice assist to Artem Zubia, the captain for Russia. And Mirenchuk's opener for Russia was the first shot on target in the game. The goal was Mirenchuk's sixth for Russia in his 35th cap and his first since 2019 since versus San Marino, ending a run of nine appearances without a goal. Finally, we get another chance here, and Zubia nearly doubles it with a headed effort. But it's a nice save from Radecki. Referee blows his whistle for, for halftime finally at 45 plus 7. Polo thought he had given Finland the lead, like we said, inside of 10 minutes. But sl- little by little, slowly but surely, Russia started to gain some control and some confidence in this match. And at, at the break, they are the ones on the board. They are the ones with the, with the small lead as um, we go into the second half. And in the 54th, we have a save here. Kamara works his side up the pitch as he drives inside from the left flank before playing a reverse pass to Puki. The forward squares up the two defenders as he drifts onto his right foot before powering towards the goal. Puki, however, doesn't find the corner, and Saranev saves it comfortably in the middle of his goal. And we start to get some substitutions here in the 61st first ozdayev is off uh, after spurning a glorious first half opportunity and zamen zamed let dinov comes in for ozdayev and that's it for his day it is finland's turn to substitute in the 67th Convera comes out and and uh makes his first substitution it is Kauko for Schuler. As we move, we move along. And this game was a little bit. There was nothing surprising in this game. So, so it's a lot of effort, a lot of high work rate for Russia, but uh, sorry for Finland. But it was little execution in the key phases of the game, in the key areas of the game, and then a, a shocking substitution in the 75th minute. First, you had Pieri. Uh Soiri coming in for Juka Ratala. But then you get the, the guy who I think was the best player for Finland in this match, which was Timu Puki. And he is substituted off as Lassie Lapalainen comes on in for the Finns. And again, we get we get some possession, we get so, some ball movement, but in, at the end of the day, the equality is not there in front of goal. This is what the Finnish national team is. I mean, let, let's be fair to them, okay? They are not some of the other national teams we talk about here. If they're going to score goals, they're going to have to work very hard for them. Remember the goal they scored against Denmark wasn't wasn't anything spectacular. It was the fact that Kasper Schmeichel was distraught and shouldn't have been on the pitch. He was psychologically not in a state of mind to play football, especially as a goalkeeper. And um you know, he gave up he gave up a, a goal he almost never never concedes. Uh Lapalainen gives away possession in the 80th, but a poor pass forward means that Zuya can't capitalize on the chance down at the other end. Zikia uh, produces an important block to stop Soris cross from getting towards the near post as well. Another substitution in the 84th. This time both teams make one. Frederick Jensen comes on for Juna. Toivio, and Alexander Sobolev replaces the captain, Artem Zubia. And we still got another substitution. It's Maxim Mukhin replacing Alexey Mirenchuk. And Koko has worked hard since his second-half introduction into the match, but he is far too enthusiastic as he hacks down Baranov near the right-handed touchline with Finland chasing an equalizer um, again we start to ask the question, did Canera, did can- Canerva, uh withdraw Puki too early? I say yes. I know it's very easy to sit here in this chair in Boston, Massachusetts, and criticize a manager who's on the touchline in St. Petersburg, Russia. But from what I can see, I thought that he made that move too soon. I thought Pookie was was the one pulling the strings in that finish side, and they're missing him as he's not there. Zekia goes into the book in the 88th, and in the 90th, it's O'Shaughnessy getting above Sobolev, and he leaves his opposite man on the floor. Referee puts him in the book. Kamara hovers in possession uh, uh, in midfield as he hesitates before launching long. Arajuri uh, is forward but doesn't win the header. A sea of Russian shirts speed forward to counterattack, winning a throw-in on the left-hand side as Kuzayev. Uh, he gets a cross in, but it gets turned away by O'Shaughnessy. That's in the 90th plus three. 90th plus five. Lapalainen outpaces Baranov and is shown inside where he finds Kalko. The substitute midfielder looks for Poe Giampolo in the middle. However, the final pass once again lacks that quality. That's what we talked about. That's the difference between the teams that are happy to be here and the teams that want to win this thing. Okay. That is at the end of the day the difference. They're all good footballers. They all can make passes. They all position well. They all can read the game. It's the quality to make the right play and to execute in the 96th minute when your team is losing to get that point or to get that winner or that equalizer. Either way, it's that class in the final third, and it's that class under the, the most intensive pressure that separates the great teams from the good teams, from the average teams, from the below average teams. There is literally a higher hierarchical order that um, that teams fall into when they, you know, can either either have that quality or don't. if you have quality in front of goal, you can beat anybody on the planet on any given day. And listen, when when I coach, I love to when I coached, I wanted to build my team out of the back first. I didn't want to concede goals usually because I never had, it was very rare. I had players with the kind of quality in front of goal to score goals. So I knew I couldn't concede. So I would start out of the back. When you have those key and those rare guys, and some of these teams have four or five on the same team, which is what's, makes this tournament so special and makes the World Cup so special or the Copa America so special is that you have teams of three, four, five guys with that kind of unique quality all together on the pitch. That makes the difference. And Finland does not pick up a point today because they lack the quality. I think they they put in a solid effort. They gave it a good run. Possession went forty-two fifty-eight in favor of Russia, but total shots eleven to fourteen in favor of Russia, fourteen to eleven in favor of Russia. Finland hangs there with them. Chances created eleven for Finland, twelve for Russia. Finland create it, it hangs. Russia c- connects more accurate passes four hundred and eighty-three at an eighty-three percent eighty-three percent success rate. Finland connects three twenty-nine again. That leaves a lot to be told in the story when you when you have just simple numbers. Were these passes lateral? Were these passes back? Were these passes forward? Were they diagonal? Were they over twenty yards? Were they under twenty yards or meters? You know, in put in the the unit of measurement you prefer wherever you live. Um, so just by judging the the accurate pass total, that can be such a misleading stat. It's like the possession stat. Without any context, it doesn't tell you anything. I mean, you can have the two center backs square the ball to each other five, six, seven, eight times. If nobody pressures them, you're gonna have a heck of a of a total of, of connected passes. But it, it it's pointless. Looking at here, duels won. So Finland won the battle in duels. This is one of the stats I like to see because that tells me which team is has got the higher work rate on most cases. But of course. Russia sees more of the ball. Finland sees more of of winning the duels. They made more tackles. Russia attempted 20 dribbles and only succeeded eight, while Finland attempted nine and succeeded six. Finland attempted 18 tackles in this match. They had 15 interceptions. Finland worked. There's no question about it. It was not per lack of heart, but it was per lack of of class or lack of, of ability that uh, let them down today. And uh, right now you can see the tables along the bottom of the screen. But for those of you listening on the podcast, I'll just read you the, the group B table as it sits right now, Belgium, Russia, Finland, all with, all with three points. And Denmark is fourth right now with none, but they play tomorrow with an opportunity to, to pick up their first points. And they're playing in Copenhagen. So, so uh, well. When we get to the point where we preview the next date, we'll talk about that. Let's quickly go into another great match. I mean, I'm going to try to do. The, I'm going to try to transition this as, as smoothly as possible. But what a day for Wales! Okay, what a day for the big red. They, um, their big players showed up today. Their big players came to play. Aaron Ramsey, Gareth Bale. Yeah, Gareth Bale missed a penalty kick, but he was phenomenal today. He played one of the best matches I've seen him play in a long, long time. And I read this on Twitter from a pundit, and i am it's escaping me right now which one said it, but it was that Wales have this thing. If they can get to tournaments, if they can get themselves qualified, they have the individual quality in guys like Bale and Ramsey to do something and to make an impact because when you get into these tournaments and it's a three-game group stage and then a knockout stage, guess what? That individual quality gives you the opportunity to advance because consistency becomes a lot less important. You're only playing three matches. We're not playing a 24-team single-table championship. If we were, it'd be a completely different story. Wales would probably be in the... They would certainly be, you know, near near the relegation zone if that were the case because the consistency isn't there. But when they can get themselves to these tournaments, when they can get themselves qualified, Wales have some real ability and they have some real difference makers in the squad that on any given night in Baku, (laughs) on a hot summer night in Baku, they can turn it around and how... Unfortunate, how disappointing must it be right now for Turkey? How many of you had them as your dark horse? I'm gonna admit I I knew and know very little about this Turkish team. Okay. Um, so they were not my dark horse for that reason. I know they have a good record this year. They had a good record coming into this this competition, won a lot of games, but they've been overmatched in in both matches. Um you also got a great game today from the from the Welsh player there from Manchester United, Daniel James. I thought he was really really good down the left today. Um uh, he had one play where I really thought that he he should have done better. He was breaking down the left, he was he was getting in behind even. He had I think he had actually run past the the back line and he had he had who did he have running? It was Joe Allen, I think. Um, perhaps it was it was uh, Kiefer Moore. Even maybe it was Kiefer Moore at the back post. And what what he needed to do was before getting too deep into the attacking zone, he needed to slide that ball on an on a, on a curve right onto the run of his teammate, so that it bent away from the the backtracking defenders and right back onto the run of his teammate, which I want to say it was key for more. Um rather than doing that he went for the aerial cross off his left foot. He crossed it over his head and Wales missed a golden opportunity there to to go ahead but they do eventually get the goal here, okay? And Wales get the goal. And actually that was that was in the second half already if I'm not mistaken. So they were winning when when he made that mistake. It was a first half goal from from Aaron Ramsey after Ramsey had missed. He had made two perfectly time runs in the first half, if you can remember. And Gareth Bale, both times found the space and found pinpointed the pass right onto his run. And then again, he, he missed, he missed uh, the quality in front of goal. We just talked about with Finland lacking that quality in front of goal. Wales is a notch above them because they do have the quality. They lack the consistency. Because Aaron Ramsey could have had a hat trick today if, if if he had that quality. Or he could have had two out of these three goals if he had the type of finishing ability of a Lewandowski. Or if he, I I mean, there's only one of those. But you know what I'm saying. If he had that type of class, the Harry Canes and the uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's and the, uh, you know, his name, Romelu Lukaku, chero Immobile. When you talk about these guys who have that class in front of goal, that thing that is so hard, that so few players on the face of planet earth have. So that's that upper tier. I think Ramsey is, is not at that tier, but he is a, above what the Finnish players have. And eventually he gets his goal today. He gets enough opportunities where he eventually finds the back of the net and Wales go into the halftime break ahead, a goal to nil and they push on and i what do you guys think about these kits for for Wales today these green and gold kits kind of the commentator said they look they they remind him of of uh norwich city who just had a pretty good season themselves and you know they uh i, I like i like they kind of look like the the australia kits too a shout out to to uh my buddy timo he 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 uh he put it out, I believe. I believe he's the one that put out the tweet of the the Wallabies rugby jersey, was the the Australia rugby jersey, side by side with this Welch uh, alternate kit. As um, I I liked the I liked the kit a lot actually. So we're in the second half, and uh, it's it's a lot more of the same from from Wales, and. Turkey's chances are few and far between. Okay, they have a few of them. They're working hard. You can't you can't say they're not working for it, but it's just not clicking in that final third. Yilmaz here, Burak Yilmaz, the captain of this team, the just won the French league with Lille. He just won Ligue 1. Gets in. He gets a steal. He, he pace on pace. He gets in behind the defenders. But nobody from Turkey is able to accompany him up the pitch. He's going into the box down the right center, right center channel. Gets into the penalty area. He's looking to square for somebody who should be running towards the back post. There's nobody, so he forces a shot from a bad angle, and it doesn't trouble it doesn't trouble the goalkeeper at all. Let's quickly. Danny Ward is the goalkeeper. Wales four two three one. Danny Ward. Uh, is the goalkeeper, like I just said. The four in the back, Connor Roberts, Chris Mefam, Joe Roden, and Ben Davies, or Davis. Again, depending where in the world you live, if you are in the UK, you're probably going to pronounce that Davis. Here in America, we say Davies, so I'm going to say Davies. Uh Double pivot in midfield, Joe Morel and Joe Allen. And then very good attacking midfield trio of Aaron Ramsey, Gareth Bale, and Daniel James playing behind the striker key for more. Um, for Turkey, they've got Kasir in goal. They got Zeki Salik in at right back. Kanahan and Kaglar Soyuncu is the center back pairing. And Umet Meras is the left back with okay Yokoslu in the holding midfield role. Four attacking midfielders in front of him. Uh Under Tufan kalhonglu and Karaman behind, as we said, Burak Yilmaz. So 90, 90th plus five. And we get a goal from the substitute Robinson, uh, Roberts, excuse me, as he comes on and he seals the three points and you could see the supporters in tears, the Welsh supporters of, I think roughly 400 Welsh supporters that made the trip out all the way to Baku and, um, if I'm not mistaken, John champion was on the call here in the United States. And he says for those, just if you're wondering how far it is from Cardiff to Baku, it's further than flying from New York to Los Angeles. So just because they're in Europe, this is very, very far away. Of course, this match kicks off, um, late. It kicked off, I think at 9 PM in, in Baku, which was 12 PM here in the East coast of the United States. I believe that was the kickoff time. Um, and it was it was basically a home game for Turkey. So this is three hard earned points for Wales. Now they get to pack their bags and head to Rome to take on the hottest team in the tournament. And why don't we go to that right now? Let's go to the game that that uh everyone's talking about. Okay. We're talking Italy versus Switzerland. And this is a game I'm quite sure gonna put on and fall asleep to tonight if I fall asleep. This was so good. They played so well that I think I could stay up all night watching it. Uh-huh. Rome's Olympic Stadium is the site, of course, and the the recorded attendance is 12,445 in the Olimpico. Sergei Karasev is the referee from Russia, and the lineup starting with Switzerland Jan Sommer returns in goal. Nico Elvedi, Fabian Schar, and Manuel Akanji are the three in the back. Mababu and Ricardo Rodriguez as the wing backs. Froehler and Granit Xhaka, the p- double pivot in midfield behind Sheridan Shaqiri and he is the link up play between uh, the midfield and the two strikers Briel Imbolo and Harris Seferovic, the guy I know as the Swiss army knife shout out to goal tv's to goal tv's um Nino Torres the, the who gave him that nickname when calling the portuguese league's matches on goal tv this year um he called Harris Safarovich the Swiss Army Knife. The problem with Harris Safarovich as a Swiss Army Knife, yeah, he scored twenty-two goals, but he missed about seventy-nine goals. So, if he had scored just thirty, he we would have been second place at the you know we would have been in second place, maybe contending for the title. But it just didn't work out that way, and that that's the thing with Safarovich. He can score goals, but he needs a lot of chances, and it amazes me to an extent. That the Swiss national team doesn't have someone better than him for that position. Um, This manager just seems to like this 11. He doesn't change things. He went into this match. And again, shout out to Fade My Place. Because last night, you heard him right here on this show say that this was a perfect matchup for the Azzurri. This was a perfect matchup for Italy. They matched up so well to this Swiss side. And he was right on the money, as usual as um, this was just a nightmare for Switzerland today. Right from the get-go, so Italy playing in there 4-3-3 for Roberto Mancini, Gianluigi, Donnarumma in goal, Giovanni De Lorenzo, Leonardo Bonucci, Giorgio Chiellini, and Leonardo Spinazzola are the four in the back. Jorginho is the anchor in midfield in, in the number six role. Nico Barella to his right, Manuel Locatelli to his left, who had himself a breakout match today. And then the the three in the attack. I love this trio. I absolutely love this trio. Chiro Immobile is the central striker, but he's got the talented and the, the quick Domenico Berardi to his right, and he's got the absolutely clinical and absolutely just pristine Lorenzo Insigne to his left. I love this Italian team. I, I know. I'm, I keep saying that. This is... Uh, I, I have been converted. I mean, you see the, the, the gear in the background there. You see the Forza Italia uh, scarf, the Forza Azuri. And you see the Italian flag, the tricolor behind it. Yep. That, again, that's because I like my wife and she lets me do this podcast at night. Um, my Italian wife. But I have to say, this team did something today that I owe. Ha- I owe. I have to. I want to share this with y'all tonight because I I owe something to this Azuri. For the first time, my five year old son, after this, he's gotten into this World Cup. Before, the, I'm sorry, this Euro. Before this Euro, my five year old son saw me watching soccer and or watching football, and I think he saw it as an obstacle, something to compete with for daddy's attention. A lot of times, he would try to distract me. Sometimes he'll even take the remote, like when there's a penalty kick, he's getting really clever. He'll take the remote and he will, he will shut off the TV as soon as the penalty kick is about to be struck so that I can't see what happened. But since this world cup starts, and I, I don't know if it's because my son at five years old has this amazing thirst for knowledge and this amazing joy of geography, um, he's very intrigued by these countries playing against each other. And every day he goes, daddy, who's playing today? Who, and now he knew today, you know, yesterday he got all dressed up in his Portugal gear and he watched Portugal play and he was all happy. And today he was all fired up for the Azuri, you know, his other, his other side. And, uh, after the game, he wanted to go practice in the yard. Now I'm working. I can't, I can't go play with him obviously, but, I see him outside practicing. I see him kicking the ball with my wife. And I'm thinking to myself, he likes he likes this game. He told me he wants, to play, he wants to play this fall. This may be one of the happiest days of my life. So, grazie, Azuri. Grazie. Thank you, Azuri. Thank you for whatever you did. I mean, this was such brilliant play that even a five-year-old can see how well they played. And, I mean... This was an absolute. You know, any words I use here is going to be an injustice to this, to this performance. It didn't take long at all. It was who was it getting on the board for? I mean, we had a goal called back from VAR, and this this was a little bit heartbreaking because Chiellini goes up for a header on a corner kick, and he misses it with his head. It catches his hand. It falls to his feet, and he he hammers it past, past Jon Summer for the goal, and. We got 1-0 to Italy. It looks like you see the path Is there a player in this tournament that plays with more passion and more love for this game than, than Giorgio Chiellini, at least right now? At this stage in his career, he knows his minutes are counting down. And perhaps the clock has even struck zero because he came out injured. It didn't look serious, but at his age and with... The rest of the team in such form. Who knows if we see Giorgio Chiellini in, in a significant role again? He uh, his goal is ruled out by by VAR, and five minutes later he's subbed off through injury. Francesco Acervi comes on, and he slots in just nicely. You you don't miss anything with that change, and you know Bonucci takes the captain's armband from Chiellini. And the Italians press on. And in the 26th, here it comes. Manuel Locatelli makes a, a nice run. But even before that, uh, it's a wonderful move from Italy. It's started by Locatelli out to Berardi. There's my man again, Berardi. This is a guy. I tweeted this today on my Mr. Benfica Twitter. I said, when it's Berardi running at defenders, and then I put flames. <laughs> I use the flame emoji. This kid is fire. I love that this Italian team has p- players from Sassuolo, players from Atalanta, players from Lazio, players from Roma. You know, you got a couple that play outside of Italy. You know, it's not a, a null no, Juventus Inter type of, of, of squad. No, Roberto Mancini has pieced together this team and has not been biased towards any club. You got plenty of Napoli also also represented in this club. In this national team, excuse me, and this goal was it was just beauty. And again, there is something real special about Berardi running at defenders, twisting and turning them. I mean, he cuts right, cuts left. He's he's like you know, and the defender just they lose their balance trying to stay with his cuts and with his with his footwork. And then he, he when it looked like he had a chance to shoot, no, no, he's very aware. He's very aware. Either he sees out of the corner of his eye or he knows knows Manuel Locatelli so well that he slides it right across the face of goal. Jan Sommer is helpless, absolutely helpless on this play. You can't put any burden of this on the goalkeeper. Manuel Locatelli hammers it home from the edge of the six-yard box. And... (laughs) The, it's the the ball is in the goal before Jan Sommer even realizes Berardi. I'm sorry, realizes Locatelli is there. Berardi cuts inside from the right, and Akanji keeps backing away and letting him get into the box. See, Berardi is so good on the dribble and so with so much pace that these defenders are afraid to step because once they step and he goes around, they're beat. They're not catching him. So what happens here is Akanji ends up backing up all the way into a phenomenal angle for Bernardi to slide it across goal. One-nil to Italy, and we get plenty of Olays and plenty of of uh ball circulation, you know, triangulation. Um, you get very positive possession, very purposeful possession from the Azuri here. 37th minute, and it's it's Spinozola who looked like he was gonna double the lead as he was allowed to as he was allowed to travel a long way with the ball. And again, the, the, the Swiss defenders just continue to retreat. They continue to back up. They do not want to hold a line of confrontation. I don't know why the Swiss manager, or I should say Switzerland's manager, he's not Swiss, but he's managing the Swiss, why he did not adjust and make a, a higher line of confrontation. Because... He's given these Italian players too much real estate to run. He's allowing them to come in from the wide positions and come in at an angle. And what happens is you're backing up and you're allowing these talented ball handlers to decide if they're going to run by you, if they're going to combine because the guys in the middle of the park are so good at shifting and so good at getting themselves into the support positions square. And they're finding the open spaces in, in the middle. And they're combining one-two so well. They're switching the ball when, when, when it's on. They just make the right decision every time with the ball. I, I'm blown away by, by the, the decision-making and just that sheer class and quality in in everything that this Italian team is doing. Yes, I know this is against Switzerland and Turkey. I know this is not against Netherlands or Belgium, but, but – the signs are there. If they, the, the, My question now and my concern for them is they're playing at such a high level. Is it even possible to continue this through seven matches? Yes, I'm talking about seven matches. Yes, I'm talking about Italy as a contender. They can go deep. They can beat teams. If they can hold this level, that's going to be very hard to do. But however, I was surprised that Mancini made very few changes from the team that beat Turkey because... Like we said about France, there and like we said we, we Portugal as well are, are known for this is the slow buildup because you gotta have gas left at the end. And I think because Italy was at a very low part in their history missing World Cup 2018. The low point in Italian football. Um I think there's an extra oomph right now, an extra energy to get out of the blocks flying in this in this tournament. Plus they're playing at home and I think they're feeding off that. The adrenaline levels are so high in this team. My my concern is can they keep this type of quality when the when the energy levels start to level out, okay? When the adrenaline levels and now you have to go to plan B. When a team doesn't let you circulate the ball like this. When a team decides to start getting chippy and getting physical. Now, I said in the beginning of the episode that I kind of view them like a a similar philosophy to a 2008-2012 Spain. But they're way more physical, which I like. They're way more, not way more, but they're more cutting edge. I think they're less, if... You're looking at waves in the ocean. Spain is very even. I think that this Italy team is more of a breaker. Okay, the, these are waves that break. If that makes any sense to you, but uh, I, I really like this team and their their ability to run. They're really the best team I've seen so far at running at the opposition. In the 46th, we get a change. Uh, Gavranovic comes on for Sfervic, um coming out of halftime. And it doesn't take long. It's the 52nd minute. It's 52nd minute. It's Locatelli again. Great goal. Italy win the ball back up high upfield. And Barella squares it to Locatelli just outside the box. And he has time to take a touch for drilling his shot across the goal into the far bottom corner. Summer is rooted to the spot, and he can't even get close. I think by the time he sees it, this thing is in the goal again. um, I'm not sure if Summer's view was obstructed. It's possible. But what Locatelli does here is something that's becoming somewhat of a dying art in this game. Smacking a shot from outside the area. You see so few of these now. There's such a desire and such an emphasis on most teams wanting to get into the area and wanting to, you know, almost work the ball into the goal. I like these old fashioned, you know, hits from outside the area. This one was so well-placed that the goalkeeper had no chance. Nico Barella picks up an assist as Italy came out of the gates with a high press to start the second half. And, Barella travels a long way with it and does well to spot Locatelli in the pocket of space. And Locatelli does not hesitate, just picks up, picks his spot, puts it in. Now there's double substitution here for Switzerland, 57th minute. On comes Steven Zuber and uh, Silvan Wilmer. Out comes Mababu and Shar. It's all Italy, though. There, there's not much else to say. My guy comes in in the 69th. I'm talking, of course, about Federico Chiesa. He replaces Lorenzo Insigne, who gets his second standing ovation in as many matches. And also, Rafael Toloi gives Domenico Berardi the rest of the night off in the 70th. And... Jorginho slotting passes again. He slots this one through in the 75th to Chiesa on the left. Cuts inside, drives into the box, but ends up dragging his shot just wide of the far post. Another substitution this time for Switzerland. Shakiri's night is done. I think the manager is ready to sh- to rest him for match day three because Switzerland are, are in a must-win situation in match day three when they play Turkey. Um. Yes, they're playing Turkey. In match day three, and Ruben Vargas is his replacement. Yellow card, Jabril Imbolo in the 79th um, as he caught Barello with a late challenge, and he's booked for it. Jabril So replaces Remo Freuler in the 84th. 85th, we see Matteo and replace Manuel Lo- uh, Locatelli, and we see Brian Cristante replace Nicolo Varela. And in the 89th, who else? Who else but the the veteran, the classic striker, the the true old fashioned box presence, Chiro Immobile of Lazio. Uh, it's a mistake from Switzerland at the back, and it gets punished as Toloi closes down. So picks out Immobile, and he turns and has a go from range, firing his shot towards the bottom far corner. Summer gets his hands to it, but can't stop it. Goes over the line. Italy get their second 3-0 result in as many matches. And they're going crazy in the Olimpico. It's a, it's a assist for the substitute, Rafael Toloy And what can I say? It's 3-0 to Italy. Three points. Um, if you haven't seen it there on the bottom of the screen in the table, here is what the table looks like now. In Group A, after two matches, Italy, obviously, top of the table with six points. They're the first team to six points in this competition. Six goals, four, none against. Second place is Wales with four. Switzerland, third, and Turkey are fourth with no points. Turkey not out yet, but it is very, very bleak. Turkey have a negative five goal difference right now. They need to not just win, but they need to win by a couple goals if they have... Any chance at all mathematically of advancing with with three points. Switzerland, if they can beat Turkey, I think should be safe with four points. But again, that negative three goal difference, they're going to want to beat Turkey at least at least by those three goals. But they need a win. Either way, if you don't win, it doesn't matter. And we, so we got some feedback here from Joshua Betancourt. What's up, Joshua? Um, Back in my hometown, I believe in Hudson, Massachusetts. Uh, he's got Italy. Looks like the top team in the tournament. I agree so far. I do agree so far. I'm just waiting to see when they play a Belgium or they play in a Netherlands or they play a France. But uh, I got France a little bit ahead of everybody else. But right now, in terms of play, yes, Italy is right now the the best team in this tournament in terms of what they've done up to this point. All right, so we're gonna talk about tomorrow, but I've got a video to play here, and and actually, speaking of the man, uh, he just dropped in in the chat here. It's James Mix Picks. So far, France looked dominant versus a very good German side. It's interesting. We uh, fade fade, uh, fade my plays, and I didn't see them as dominant as dominant as as James here uh, is seeing them. I. Maybe because the bar is set so high for France that I didn't feel that they were as dominant as I was expecting. Um, now, at the same time, France is a team that can control without the ball. They're very, very good at, at making you do what they want you to do. And that's just as good as having possession. Um, but James is... is uh, the is the subject of the next segment. So I am glad he just chimed in because his segment is coming. Um, James is going to predict tomorrow's matches for us. I'm going to play the video for you guys right now. It'll be just one more moment here.
1: What is up y'all? James makes picks here coming at you with a quick breakdown of the Euro matches on the pitch tomorrow. From a gambler's perspective, I got to thank Mr. Benfica for having me on the show. It's an honor. I'm glad to be here, and I hope to be back in the future with uh, more breakdowns like this. So we got three games tomorrow on the pitch. The first one's Ukraine and North Macedonia. Ukraine have lost only one of their last seven games. However, they have conceded five, uh, conceded in five of those matches, and they conceded three to the Netherlands. Their last time out on Sunday. North Macedonia, meanwhile, have scored in each of their last six matches. Uh, they've actually scored 15 goals during that stretch, and they beat Germany 2-1 to one in those in that stretch as well. So even though they're outclassed by most, most teams in this tournament, I don't think they should be ignored. They have proven they can score. On the other side of the pitch, Ukraine, their attack should have no issue scoring versus North Macedonian defense. Uh, Yarmolenko has been in excellent form. Uh, so has Yarmuchuk and Zinchenko. I mean, that, that, that front for Ukraine uh, can find the back of the net. Yarmolenko uh, has scored 41 goals and 95 appearances for Ukraine, so he's pretty much been on fire uh, ever since he started playing for his country. He also has three goals in his last two games. I like Ukraine to get this done, but don't count on North Macedonia scoring. I like the, both teams to score at minus 104. That's the best value for this game. On to the next one. I'm going uh, to take we're Denmark versus Belgium. Belgium has scored an average of 2.7 goals per match across their last 10 fixtures. They've won eight of those. They drew the other two. Lukaku is on fire. He's got 22 goals and 19 uh, appearances for Belgium. The last 19, uh, they have not struggled with uh, KDB sideline. Kevin De Bruyne sideline with an injury. I don't think he's going to play this match either, but I don't think it's going to matter. They outclassed Denmark. Plus, Denmark had the unfortunate issue with Christian Eriksen last game. Uh, I don't know how you recover emotionally from that. Plus, he was their best player, and now he's no longer on the pitch. So the fact that the books are giving us plus money on the money line for Belgium... Take it. It's plus 110 for Belgium. That's my play for that game. I think Belgium can comfortably get this done uh, so they can not have to worry about the last match, uh, guarantee their spot in the final 16, rest up their injured players, and come out strong for that. So give me Belgium on the money line. And in the last game, we got the Netherlands versus Austria. Three of the last four meetings between these two teams have seen Holland win in over three and a half goals. And both teams have scored in five of Austria's last six competitive matches. Uh, the Netherlands gave up two goals in that Thriller versus Ukraine in their first group match. Austria scored three in their opener, so I expect a lot more goals in this one. Both sides have enough talent on the attack to cause some issues for the opposition's backline. I expect we see some fireworks from the likes of uh, Deep A and Weghorst and the like, like. Up front, both teams can score here. The Dutch ultimately, I think, are the more talented team. I think this wins out in the end. But I do think that Austria can add to the score line. So I really like the over two and a half goals at minus 137. But I do think the Netherlands can win. Their money line is a little juicy, but you can parlay their money line with the over two and a half and get plus money at plus 128. It's pretty good value there, too. But that's my breakdown for these three games. Again, thank you, Mr. Benfica, for having me on. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at James Picks and find me on Better Than Vegas under James Makes Picks. Thanks a lot, guys,
0: and let's have a day. All right, now that I'm uh, unmuted, thank you, James, for that. That was uh that was great. I really appreciate that contribution and it brings a, a different dynamic to this show. And I like what is so James is comes from, from the, the betting background, as do most of my guests, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, I like and I like the betting guys because they bring a lot of data, they bring a lot of of, of reason why they think things. Like, see, I I'm all over hoping for Denmark tomorrow because and it's all sentimental it is it is nothing to do with 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 any type of logic or any type of 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 data and and James just told you why Belgium's basically going to win what you really got to do guys if you're listening if you're watching especially if you're listening to the podcast is download this show and then go to your favorite online betting site tomorrow first thing okay before these matches start see if you watch the live stream, you get the advice before the games happen. If you wait for this the podcast to drop, by the time you get around to listening, by the time you're you're in your commute or you're at the gym, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, you know what the game might be already underway and you might have lost a chance to make some some good money. And James has great advice there. And I like the number he brought out about North Macedonia as well. Um yeah, they don't get they don't get shut out. They don't get held to clean sheets, which which is a good a good thing, and and that's why they're here is is essentially their ability to put the ball in the net, and they even have that historic win over Germany in World Cup qualifying before before we switched gears and started headed here for Euro twenty twenty. Um, he likes Belgium. I'm thinking uh, for in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking because I'm not using logic, uh, and that's why you know. As much as I like to put money down on games, it, it's it's in a much, you know, smaller quantity and it's in a it's in a, at a different um, I I don't I should say I don't do this when I have this 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 emotional attachment. And of course, what happened with Christian Eriksen this past Saturday has everybody, I think, paying attention to the this Denmark team. And. Well, I believe one of two things are going to happen. What James said is either going to happen and that's the more likely of the scenarios or what there's what I'm, I guess, dreaming of here <laughs> of a, a Denmark that comes out and rallies around this rallies around this fallen teammate, uh, a country that picks this team up also because they're playing at home. And and I'm going to verify that I'm pretty certain they're playing at home. They are, in fact, playing at home and they. They. Come out here and somehow earn this glorious draw, get a point, and then, you know, and then beat Russia. I believe they're gonna beat Russia in the last game. I do. Um, if they get a point tomorrow, they're looking at a, a very very high mathematical probability that they will advance. So their tournament is on the line tomorrow. So I'm I'm gonna say that I hope that Denmark come away with something. As much as I love watching this Belgian team play, like I I, you know, there will again. They're one of the best. The the top ranked team in FIFA. They're FIFA's number one ranked team. And I don't know anybody who doesn't like watching them play. But the storyline is, is so attractive with, with Denmark tomorrow. Um, but we'll see what kind of physical what kind of psychological state Denmark is even in. So there's no way of knowing. Um but Belgium, you know, are gonna be strong. Okay. You know, again that Ukraine, North Macedonia match. Ukraine showed a lot of heart against the Netherlands last Saturday. Uh, They got, they got guys that can score. They got forwards that can score. And I I personally like Sevchenko as a manager and I'm looking at their probable lineup. I mean, just in the attack, Yarmolenko, Yarmichuk, Sherparenko. You've also got, you got um, Merlos off the bench. You've got some real talent in this, in this team. And it's just, it's, I don't see them not winning obviously but on the other side you've got a, a North Macedonia's team that's probably saying this is our you know they didn't get their victory against Austria which was their chance to win and to get points but I think they're going to they're going to give it a go and I think they're going to like their chances as much as they would have against Austria you got Goran Pandev in the attack everybody knows him he is the face of this team and again like like JMP just said, they they've scored in each of their last six games, totaling 15 goals, including a win over Germany. So it'll be interesting to watch that one as well. And in the nightcap, I, I love the Netherlands. Um, I'm not going to get into the both team to score thing. That's where my money, that's when my wallet gets really empty because I start to, to what I call get, get greedy a little bit, but it's, um, I like the Netherlands in that matchup, um, I really like Memphis Depay. He's one of the players I really, really enjoy. Uh, looking at them right now, you know, they are... Jorginho Wijnaldum is playing well. You know, uh, Frankie de Jong, Martin de Root there in midfield. You still got a... You know, you still got uh DeLict who uh, who didn't play in the last match. There's, there's depth. There's ability. They showed a little bit of fortitude as well last match in... in coming back and getting the win after blowing a two nil lead. So uh, maybe that's the test they needed to, to really believe in themselves. I wanted to address James's comment that came in while the video is playing. And this is regarding uh, France and Germany. He believes they controlled the whole midfield. I I did agree with that. They could, they are masters at controlling without, without possessing. And I like that because you do a lot. They made, and we said that they made Germany do a lot of the work. They forced them to do the work. And I also agree that the attackers are only going to get better. And when you've got Kylian Mbappe in your team, come on, I mean he he's, <laughs> I think they called him Olympic level sprint speed, and he looks like it <laughs> against these, these these defenders. He looks phenomenal, and it's, I mean, yeah, For, France are the favorites. We'll, we'll, I I keep you know we we talk and we talk and we try to find a way to make it be bring them back to the pack a little bit it's almost like like a a cycling race where you have the peloton or the lead chase group so you have the leader which is france in my opinion they're out there then you have the lead chase group you got your belgium your portugal your your italy now your your netherlands yeah those are probably the four in the chase and then there's there's you know there's germany there's uh, a couple other teams that are above average that are not in the Peloton at all and then you got everybody else back. Uh, that's how I see the race right now to July 11th, the team that's going to end up lifting this trophy. All right. Um, that's going to do it for this episode 47. I want to thank everyone who watched live tonight and who contributed to Uh, In the comments section, thank you so much. Uh, Whether you're watching on Facebook, on YouTube, or on Periscope, thank you again. uh, The Periscope, of course, is available on the PTB Media uh, Twitter page. That's at PTB underscore media. Uh, It's another night in the books. I'll be back tomorrow to talk about three more matches and to look at Friday's matches as well. And Fade My Plays will be back here tomorrow with me. That's the plan right now. So it'll... It'll be fun to uh, to have another voice and to get more opinions and more more perspective. And um, I hope everyone again enjoys the games tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed them today. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have any feedback, constructive, critical, whatever, uh, positive, it doesn't matter. If you hate the show, you can you can let me know as well. Uh, just drop an email at ptbmedia network at gmail.com or hit me up on the Twitter or Instagram. Handle you see there on your screen at PTB underscore media and don't forget if you're on the podcast, uh, like, subscribe, share this page, okay, uh, or this this podcast, excuse me, uh, whether it's Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, Castbox, you know, uh, Amazon, again. If it's Amazon, all you got to do is tell Alexa to play Parking the Bus Podcast. That's going to do it for tonight. I'll catch you next time here on the Parking the Bus Podcast. And hopefully tomorrow, I'll have time to get you some Copa America coverage because uh, Match Day 2 kicks off tomorrow in Copa America. And that's always going to be bonus coverage in the podcast form only. And um, yeah, so look for that in the morning. Um, it's now nine 15. I don't believe I'm getting that done tonight. So hopefully tomorrow we can get to that. Um, anything else? Just, just hit me up. If, uh, if you got any thoughts, if you think I'm, I'm off on something, I'm always happy to hear from everybody. And this has been a pleasure so far next tomorrow. We'll make a complete week of nightly podcasts. All right. Thanks everybody. I'll catch you next time here on the PTB media network the Mr. Mike Augustine signing off. And welcome back to Parking the Bus episode 47 surprise. It's a bonus segment. That's right. This is podcast exclusive material here. You won't see this on the live stream. This is some Copa America coverage. From Monday night, this is the Zona Sud, um, the two matches in that grouping that took place Monday night as it, we start with Argentina versus Chile, and I had originally said I wasn't going to get this done tonight, but you know what, uh, I'm waiting for the rest of the podcast that I just, the video I just recorded to upload into the podcast feed, so why not uh while I wait, I got to be awake anyways. Let's move ahead and let's let's go ahead and talk about these these two matches for a little bit. Okay, so a, we're at the Stadio Nilton Santos in Rio de Janeiro, also known as the Ingenio. And Wilmar on the Colombian, is the referee. And like we said, it's Argent- Argentina versus Chile. The lineups starting with Chile. It's Claudio Bravo in goal. The the captain, former Manchester City goalkeeper. He has four defenders in front of him. Flamengo's Mauricio Isla is the right back, Gary Medel and Guillermo Maripana, the center back, pairing with Eugenio Mena on the left. The three in midfield are anchored by Eric Pulgar in the center with Arturo Vidal to his right and Charles Aragüis to his left. Up front, the ageless Eduardo Vargas is the striker. He's got Carlos Palacios to his right and Jean Menezes to his left. And that's their 4-3-3 for Argentina. It's also a 4-3-3. Emiliano Martinez is the goalkeeper. He is, of course, from Aston Villa. And he has a four-man back line in front of him. Gonzalo Montiel on the right. Lucas Martinez and Nicolas Otamendi are the center back, pairing with Nicolas Tagliafico as the left back. In midfield, you have Leandro Paredes of, of uh, Paris Saint-Germain teaming up with Giovanni Lo Celso of, of Tottenham and Rodrigo DePaul, soon to be, according to Fabrizio Romano, soon to be of Atletico Madrid. And the three in attack, Lautaro Martinez is the striker with Lionel Messi to his right and Nicolas Gonzalez to his left. Okay, with the final score here is to 1-1 in this one. You get a goal from Lionel Messi on a brilliant free kick in the 33rd minute. And Vargas will level in the 57th. And you'd also have a missed penalty kick in this one by Arturo Vidal. As Vidal would miss that penalty kick in the 56th just before. Well, he missed the penalty kick, but Vargas would put the rebound in. So that's still where the goal comes from. A whole bunch of yellow cards, a whole bunch of substitutions here. Of course, this is a very controversial tournament we talked about it the last time. We talked about Copa America because um, the COVID situation in South America is is quite dire and the reality is brazil is not in any better of a situation really than the other two countries however um conmebols back is against the wall conmebol they they must put this tournament on the players don't really want to play but um they decided not to strike and they have to they have to deliver a product to their to their, their partners and their their sponsors and their television and media you know partners like we said so this tournament's going to get played. What I don't like about this tournament, I'm going to be very very honest here, is you have 10 teams, two groups of 5. So we're playing four games in the each team is playing four matches in order to eliminate two teams. And it's 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 a lo- four matches in a group is a lot. And I understand the logic behind it. The the thing is I think the two teams that get eliminated are basically the two that that you could guess i'm i'm going to you know you got you got bolivia in probably going to be eliminated in the south and you got probably venezuela eliminated in the north but it i mean venezuela has a history of doing well but venezuela has been absolutely rocked they had to bring in 12 new players now to replace the 15 that tested positive for covid so I mean, this tournament is just marred, and it's being played for the sake of being played because, they, again, CONMEBOL needs to to deliver a product to the people they promised it to. But it, it's not... I, I think this tournament will get good once we get to the quarterfinals. I think the final week of it will be fantastic. Um, it is hard, though, watching the Euro during the day and then at night, you know, the Euro with the people in the, in the stadium, uh, with the crowd... And then at night, you you watch in South America and it's empty. And I've, I love South American football, so it hurts me to say that. I have loved watching Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, watching the uh, Campeonato Argentino, watching the Brasileirão. I've watched a lot of the Ecuadorian First Division, the Liga Pro this season as well. So, I mean, it... it, it But for an international tournament, it is kind of painful to watch like this. But again, getting back to Argentina versus Chile, here's some of the statistics for the match. And you have ball possession pretty much 50-50. You have Chile with 51.2%, while Argentina have 48.8%. But Argentina creating a lot more offense. Uh, Argentina have 18 shots to 5, 13 chances created to 3, 4 big chances. Argentina not wasting any time, 283. (laughs) <laughs> accurate passes in this match for an 81% uh success rate while Chile not not that much better 3 uh, 305 passes completed for an 80% uh success rate 14 fouls by Argentina 19 by by uh Chile more fouls on average in the Copa America than in the Euro and um of course they're going to South America they're playing in the winter now also so a lot of these european based players are losing out on their summer holiday to be playing in the winter in South America right now after the longest season this this earth has ever seen uh, where well, you had a season and a half merged into the time frame of of one season but argentino winning the all, the majority of the duels 57 of them to 36. And this was a classic a classic one one draw. I mean there's not much else to say about it. The two teams were pretty much you know each team played to their game uh each team was able to play to their strength um of course, you get a goal from Lionel Messi, which is always an exciting thing, and always making the headlines and it it um i mean it serves its purpose, but again, these teams are gonna be they're going to be holding off until they get to the quarterfinals to turn it up a notch. Both of them know they're going to advance. There's no question about that. The other game that night, however, not so not the case. So it was a much more important game for these guys and it was it was Paraguay taking on Bolivia. This match was played in in um the the Stadio Olimpico Pedro Lodovico Teixeira in Goiânia okay um in Goiás Brazil so this was uh refereed by Diego Arro of Peru the lineups in this one okay Paraguay come out with Anthony Silva in goal they're playing 4-2-3-1 for their manager um César Ferri- no sorry Eduardo Berizzo and Paraguay have across the back Alberto Espinola, Gustavo Gomez all of Gustavo Gomez plays for Internacional de Porto Alegre in the Brasileirão. is partnered with Junior Alonso and Santiago Arzamendia. Uh, hold on. Arzamendia. <laughs> Arzamendia is the left back, I said it right the first time. Double pivot in midfield Matias Villa Santi, partners with Robert Pires. While Alejandro Moreno, Miguel Almeron, formerly of Atlanta United, now makes his living at Newcastle United. And Angel Romero um, lead up the attacking midfielders behind the striker Gabriel Abelos. For Bolivia, they would go with a 4-4-2. Classic 4-4-2 for Cesar Farias. Uh, Ruben Cordano is the goalkeeper. Diego Ibanez. Uh, Jairo Quinteros, Adrian Husino, and Jose Segredo are the four across the back. Erwin Saverda and um, Jorge Flores on the two flanks, with Leonel Justiniano and Boris Cepedes as the two in center midfield. Gilbert Alvarez and Joame Quejar uh, are the two. Strikers, Kejar would be sent off in this one. You would see two yellow cards. Uh, Those would come in. They would both come in the 45th plus 9. Not a very good time to be picking up a double yellow card. Um, And it would be actually Bolivia getting on the board first. Erwin Saverda would score from the penalty spot in the 10th minute. And then in the second half... Paraguay would come alive here. Alejandro Romero would make it 1-1 in the 62nd minute. In the 65th, three minutes later, Angel Romero of his his namesake would double the tally and put Paraguay ahead as he scores. And then you got a whole bunch of substitutions. I'm not going to go through all of them, but then you got Angel Romero again in the 80th, putting it out of reach for. The Bolivians and he is assisted by Gabriel Abalos and Paraguay take the three points here in Goyas and they put themselves in a good position. This was the must win match for them and they can start to rotate players if they want to and look t- towards the quarterfinals. A lot of these players, like I said, um, there's a lot more South American based players in these two teams than in the previous two teams. So they're at a different place in their fitness. They're at a different place in their season and in their calendar. But again, the South American season's more or less at the at the halfway. But if you're playing in Brazil, the league it just started three rounds deep. And I will have a Brasileirão update tomorrow night. Okay. The plan is tomorrow night at the if 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 for some reason i can't get it done tomorrow it will be on friday's episode okay to get you into the weekend and all caught up on Brazil Leon action um we look at the statistics here i mean 79% possession to paraguay very much like the spain uh spain sweden match in the euro however paraguay made the most of their chances 34 uh, yes that's right 34 total shots by Paraguay in this one to four for Bolivia. Uh, 27 chances created, five big chances, 604 accurate passes for Paraguay for a 93% uh, pass success rate. I think Bolivia was more than happy to let them have the ball. Bolivia not interested in any of that. The foul tally was about even. Bolivia played hard, but again, uh, just no match for Paraguay. Uh, Paraguay won more duels, which usually the team that has less possession wins more duels. So, I think Bolivia was just overmatched in this one. And now we look at the table in the in the Grupo Sud. Paraguay lead with three points. Obviously, they uh, have three goals, four one against, so they have a plus two goal difference. Argentina and Chile second and third, um, separated only alphabetically at this point. And Uruguay yet to play in Bolivia is last with five. I'm sorry, it's fifth with no points. And I think everyone expects Bolivia to be the team eliminated from this group. Let's look now at the fixtures coming up. So Thursday is the next round of fixtures. It'll be in the Copa America Zona Norte. And um, I'll review these on the Friday edition as well. Uh, If I have to go late on Friday, I can do that. So um, they kick off too late for me to do this in time for tomorrow's show. But you have Colombia taking on Venezuela tomorrow. That is a 5 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff here in the East Coast of the United States. It'll be that's a 6 p.m. local time in Brazil, and then Brazil take on Peru in the nightcap, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 9 o'clock uh, Rio de Janeiro time, or wherever they're playing. Um, they're playing at. Yeah, they're playing at the Ingenio in Rio de Janeiro, so that's Rio de Janeiro time, 9 p.m. All right, so again, Friday night, we'll talk about those two matches. I fully expect victories and fairly easy ones for Colombia and for Brazil. But you never know, Peru is not a bad team. They were at the last World Cup. They um, they have some recognizable players, no doubt about it, as we look at it real quickly. And you look at the lineup uh Everyone knows who's on Brazil, but you got players like Christian Cuevas. You got uh, André Carrillo. You got Renato Tapia. uh, Gianluca Lapadula. Don't forget about uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz um, of Seattle Sounders, also in that Peru lineup. So Peru could give, they could potentially give Brazil a hard time in this one, but with the firepower that are in the Canarinha, that are in the yellow jerseys. I fully expect Brazil to take care of business in this one as, um, again, they're playing at home and they are the overwhelming favorites. There's no question about it. All right. Thank you again for sticking with the podcast and for staying late here and uh, hanging on to what's now become a pretty long episode. So I appreciate that. for fans of the Copa America I'm sorry it's not as in-depth I am absolutely spent right now uh it is a lot of work to cover this much football but I I don't want to disrespect South American football because I love South American football and and make no mistake as this tournament goes on you know the focus will increase and um again I'll I'll you'll hear from me tomorrow so uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode like I said at the end of the main section of the episode so I'm signing off for the second time this is the Mr. Mike Agustinio signing off here on Parking the Bus. Don't forget to follow at PTB underscore media. And don't forget to go to the YouTube channel. Hit subscribe and to go to your podcast uh, platform and subscribe. Share and like this podcast. Share it with your friends. If you know one friend that likes football, please tell them to download the Parking the Bus podcast. Have a good night, everybody. I'll catch you on Thursday for more action from Euro 2020. <laughs>
1: Vamos brindar novamente O um sorriso na cara tá sempre presente O nosso caminho é seguir em frente Esquece o teu passado e vivo o presente E se for abrir toda a gente